James chapter 1, beginning at verse 1 through 15. James, a bondservant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ to the twelve tribes which are scattered abroad. Greetings. My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience. But let patience have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach, and it will be given to him. But let him ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, driven and tossed by the wind. For let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all his ways. Let the lowly brother glory in his exaltation, but the rich in his humiliation. Because as a flower of the field, he will pass away. For no sooner has the sun risen with a burning heat, that it withers the grass, its flower falls, and its beautiful appearance perishes. So the rich man also will fade away in his pursuits. Blessed is the man who endures temptation, for when he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he himself tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is drawn away by his own desires and enticed. Then, when desires conceived, it gives birth to sin, and sin, when it is full grown, brings forth death. This is the Word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we gather here, I ask that Your Holy Spirit now invade this moment in time that we would be honoring unto You, glorifying Your name, and bringing forth Your Word without compromise and without watering it down, Heavenly Father. But that Your truth that You have for us today would be the truth that You speak to us because You are alone, holy, glorified, and honorable. Heavenly Father, let your Holy Spirit fall now and your word teach us. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray this, that we would be yours. Amen. You may be seated. I want to uh, start off with just a quick recap from last Sunday so that you know where we're at in this uh, moving forward in the book of James. James is the brother of Jesus Christ. He's a half-brother. Obviously, a different father, as Jesus had the heavenly father and James had Joseph as his father. But James was writing to the twelve tribes of Israel which had been scattered through the uh, persecution. And he tells us that we need to be joyful in various trials because this is testing our faith and producing patience and also making us perfect in Christ. Because we have endured a trial, we now know how to grow forth and endure. Endurance is a great thing, which we talked about last week. But this week, I want to talk to you a little bit about wisdom, doubt, and double-mindedness. And we'll get into those. But I want to tell you a story first. There was a letter one time, a long time ago, in a can that was tied to an old water pump. It was on the trail across the Armagosa Desert. And this note in that can tied to that old water pump read this way. And I quote, This pump is all right as of June 1932. Under the white rock, 
I buried a bottle of water out of the sun and cork end up. There's enough water in that bottle to prime the pump, but not if you drink some first. The well has never run dry. Have faith. When you get watered up, fill the bottle and put it back like you found it for the next feller. It was signed, Desert Pete. P.S. Don't go drinking up the water first. Prime the pump with it and you'll get all you can hold. Wonder what that has to do with wisdom today, with doubt and with double-mindedness. Well, we'll get to it. I promise. This uh, passage in James, I, I really, really like it. And um, this whole book of James is wonderful instruction, practical, and it will help us grow. And uh, I encourage you to take good notes, uh, annotate your Bible, if you will. Just get, get yourself some information here that will help you along your faith journey. But the, the fifth verse comes on the heels of where he has said that when you endure the trial and the endurance that brings you forth will make you complete or lacking nothing. But he says, if anybody lacks wisdom, he should pray to God who will give him wisdom because God gives generally, excuse me, generously and gracious to all. Now, when James says, pray for and ask for wisdom, if you lack it, does it mean that you are stupid? No, he doesn't mean that. Does it mean that you lack knowledge? No, it doesn't mean that. Does it mean that you don't know how to move beyond the current struggle to the next thing? Possibly. But there is a deeper truth to this statement and to this request of asking God for wisdom because there is an assumption you have to understand here that James doesn't say. And that is that the wisdom we're seeking is God's wisdom. Not man's, God's. He doesn't say seek God's wisdom. He says seek wisdom. But the Scripture, and they knew at that time throughout the Proverbs that all wisdom was from God, a godly wisdom. Knowledge is from man and what teachers teach, but wisdom comes only from God. God. They understood that. But we don't always read that in there. And so I wanted to point that out to you. That God has wisdom. Wisdom is what we would call applied knowledge. And God has unlimited sources of both. Now, when we ask God for wisdom, what are we really asking God to give. Maybe you draw back to Solomon and when he said, God, I need wisdom so that he could rule the kingdom properly as just a young man. But that isn't head knowledge and being smart. That is not what James is referring to. You see, God's wisdom for us is more than just being smart about something. When you have a trial or a temptation, godly wisdom begins to show you the purpose and the reason behind it. And wisdom says, God, show me the meaning behind this. I I once heard someone say this. In any situation, you're either learning 
growing or victorious. In other words, if you come up with a challenge and you're not doing so well, you've learned. What did you learn? You learned what didn't work. You learned what not to do the next time. You've learned what isn't going to produce results. Much like Thomas Edison tried over 9,000 times to develop and invent our light bulb. Over five times, and I'd have probably quit. But he actually was 10,000 times that he finally did it. And people would ask him along the way, are you saying you failed 9,000 times and more to invent the light bulb? And he said, no, not at all. I have not failed. I found things that didn't work. Now, nobody else has to try those things. I learned in the process. There are things in our lives that we think make sense because historically they've proven to be true. We say history repeats itself a lot. If you're an investor, you know what I mean. You're trusting that the markets will remain stable and continue to be that way. If you are a sports fan, you think that a team that's doing well will continue to do well because they're on a hot streak. A team doing poorly doesn't do well because they have injuries or bad players. But we, we look at course of events and we apply that and say this is what should happen because of that. This is true about our own lives. Well, I tried this before and it didn't work. Now, do you remember when Naaman, the leper, went to uh, Elijah and said, I would like to be healed. And my king said, you could do it. And he said, alright, go wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. And Naaman was angry. He said, we have clean water everywhere. I've washed several times. Why would I ever want to wash in a muddy river and think I'm going to be clean from this? He got angry, right? It didn't work in our clean river. Why would it work in a muddy one? What happened before, this is what we call wisdom. In other words, when you walk out the door and you see a puddle, you don't step in it twice. That's wisdom. Right? That's learning from what's happened before. But that's not how God is asking us to ask for wisdom. This is not the wisdom we're talking about. This is common sense. You don't step in the same puddle twice. You can wash in a clean river rather than a dirty one. Makes sense. But do you know what Naaman's friend said to him that was riding with him? He said, if he had asked you to scale a large mountain or do some great monumental task, you'd have done it. And all he is asking you to do is wash in the river and you won't do it. Because you're so smart and offended by the Word of God. And Naaman relented. Went to the Jordan. Six times he went down and came up with leprosy. Six times he said it didn't work. But God said seven. The seventh time worked. And Naaman came back full of joy. And Worshiping the God of deliverance, it said, rather than there are clean rivers where I'm from, I would rather worship the God of the dirty river. 
I want to worship the God of the dirty river. Can I have some dirt and take it with me? You understand what he's saying, right? Wisdom says that what you thought was true isn't. But what God said is, even if it doesn't make sense to your mind. Because godly wisdom is above ours. It doesn't always compute. doesn't always make sense. And God will ask you to do something that might not make sense. And usually that's a good sign that it's God. Unless you've heard from someone who's absolutely out of their mind. Or you're prone to hyper-grandois uh, ideas. But God will ask you to do something that will make you leave your comfort zone most of the time. So, But here's the thing. It says when you ask God for wisdom, you must believe this and not doubt at all. That's in verse uh, 6. That when you ask, don't doubt. Because if you question God's ability to give wisdom... Do you really know who God is? I don't know if God can do this or not. Now, it's not questioning if He will. It's if He can. That's the doubt. Because we get all sorts of doubts as believers. You know, well, God might not answer my prayer. I might not be in obedience. I might, it might be about me, but I don't question God's ability. This is what it talks about when it says doubt. Don't question what God can do. When you're in a very difficult situation and you go, God, I don't know that you're going to do this, but I know throughout my whole being you can. That is confidence in what God can do. You may not have confidence that He will or that He will for you or for another, but you know He can. If you know God of creation, that God can. Do you face things in your life where you think God can't? Or are you lined up and say, God can, I just don't know that He will. There is a difference, and I'll tell you why. Because if you don't think God can and you're asking Him to do it, He won't. Because He can't act on something you don't think He can do. And then you say, well, wait a minute. I thought God would do anything. And doesn't He answer prayers of people who don't believe in who He is? Remember, we ask God because we believe He can. Not because we believe He can't. We ask Him because He could, not because He will. Faith says that God can. Doubt says God can't. And so when James talks about, you must believe God can give you wisdom. You must believe God has an answer for you And don't doubt that. So do you truly question, when you question whether God can or will give you something, are you questioning it on your worthiness or God's ability? What is it? When you say, God, I'm really struggling here and I don't know if you're going to do anything. I really need this, God. But but, but, but I doubt that it's going to happen. Is that doubt? Because of you or because of God? No, each person has their own answer to this. Not necessarily me. It might be because I don't question, I question God's ability. I've never seen Him do it before. This is too big for God. This is too big for me to believe. Whatever. Do I question God's ability? Do you question what God can do? At the core of your soul and very deep, and this is what this doubt is talking about, is in your soul. 
Do you know God can? Do you know? And if you know He can, then trust that He will if you ask. Not doubting that He can. It isn't about whether or not you have questions about if He will. It's trusting that He can and He will if He will. (laughs) It's it's, it's kind of tricky, right? A lot of people teach this and they say, well, you doubted God, you don't have faith, therefore, you know. We haven't doubted God's ability unless we have. So do you think God can work through your situation to move it to where He wants it to be and that He can if He but will? By the power of the Holy Spirit, by His work, in and through you or others in this world, do you think He can? If you believe that, you have no doubt in God. If you have struggled with that, then you have a question about God's love for you and His ability to do all things. And that is a core faith and theological problem. Let me tell you how this works, alright? Back then, James was writing to a church that was under persecution. Bad. Now, there were people who saw what God was doing through the church. The healings, the restorations, uh, the miracles. And other people said, we want God to do that for us too. That we're pagan. Maybe Romans. And the Romans were saying, let's ask God to do that for us. Let's heal our people, you know. Maybe that God can do it. Now hear that. Maybe that God can do it when our God can. Because their history, right, shows them that their God, Zeus, Archimedes, Poseidon, whoever they're praying to, can't. Because they try. Maybe this one can, but it's just another God like that one. Do you think that God's going to answer a prayer where He says, well, maybe you're just another God like those and you're not real? Or is God asking to be the only God and say, I might do this to show you who the God is and can, but you're going to have to trust me the next time you ask and don't search those other gods. I'm going to prove to you who I am. But don't you go putting something else before me again. God is trying to get your loyalty to Him and Him alone. As He says, there are no other gods before me and there are no other gods. Let me tell you who they worshipped. They would take a tree or maybe some clay or maybe a rock and they would carve out an image and set it there or out in a temple or in a place and begin to worship it. And say, this is our God. The Bible clearly says in many places, you've carved images that cannot speak. That cannot breathe. And you inquire of them to do something that they cannot do. And this is why God was a jealous God. Because those things were considered on His level. And they were made with human hands, not by a God. And they were not a god. They were called idols. And each one of us will put an idol in our heart that says God can't. That idol has to go. Why? Because in Scripture where James says, 
in those verses that a person who is asking, let them not suppose that they'll receive anything from God because that person's a double-minded man. Now this double-minded man, this word is dipsuko. I almost want to say dipstick. <laughs> that would seem appropriate, right? But dipsuko. And what it means is someone whose soul has two directions. Their soul. They are a spiritual schizophrenic. Hear me. It creates turmoil and confusion when it comes to God. Why? Because the soul doesn't know what to believe and worship because it has two different directions to go. And here's what Jesus sometimes said about that. You can't serve God and other things. The word He used was mammon, but let's put it as man-made, or anything that isn't God is mammon. Some people put it as money. You can put it as whatever. But it's anything that's not God that takes your devotion and confidence in God away is not holy for you, and it will take your confidence away. But worse than that, if you say, I really believe God, but I want to try it my way, I'm going to tell you this. I've said this. I believe in God, but I'm going to try it my way. <laughs> or, maybe you said this before like I have. I'm upset with God. I'm mad with God. I'm going to go and do things my way. Not God's, because I'm mad. Maybe because God disappointed me, or He let certain things happen, or He didn't come to the rescue, or whatever. But in that moment, do you understand that if I'm going to ask God for something and I'm doing it my way, what do you think God's going to look at me and say? Amen. Have it your way. <laughs> like at Burger King used to be that commercial. Have it your way. Well, what about God? Are you going to do something? Well, you're having it your way, not my way. Because you think your way actually can compete and is on plane with mine and you set yourself up as equal to me so let's see what yours does. And when you sleep at night, let's see if you can still save yourself. Oh, goodness. No wonder it's spiritual schizophrenia because you're trying to say, I love God, but I'm doing it my way. That is not possible to be loyal to yourself and God. You can't. You can't serve both. And God says, if you choose me, choose me. If you choose the other, choose the other. I'd rather you be hot or cold. Not in the middle, because I'm going to spit that out of my mouth. He doesn't like lukewarm. So God is trying to get at this understanding for us. This is not about a person who has an occasional doubt. Like, you know, I'm not sure if, if God's going to do this or not. And it's not a person who, 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 who fails and lapses into sin now and then. And saying, you know, I don't know if God will do this because I'm a sinner. Because it's not talking about that kind of doubt. It's talking about the doubt is the insincere person who seeks things from God for personal gain and benefit without any loyalty to God. Because if you really want God's wisdom, you want to know Him. And you want to know His heart. And you want to be mature in the faith, which is why you're asking, God, get me through this so I can know You better. God, provide me a testimony through this that will give You glory. God, give me strength to praise You in this storm so that I can praise You afterward. Because my way isn't going to praise anybody. 
My way is just going to glorify me. And as God says, pride comes before the fall. I don't want that. You see, the motive, if you don't have the motive to experience God's will and heart in your life, you doubt God. And you're asking Him for the wrong reasons. God, get me out of this and I'll worship you. You ever heard that? God, if you just get me out of this mess, I'll love you forever. God's looking and going, love me forever and maybe I'll get you out of that mess. What's first, the mess or God? You understand? We look at the mess and bring it to God. God's saying, come to me first and let this mess sort itself out. But you love me and my will and my heart and seek my wisdom. And what is wisdom? Fear the Lord. That's the beginning of wisdom. (laughs) Now you understand why that proverb is so powerful. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom because it means you trust that God is who He is and you're not Him. And nobody else's and nothing else can take His place. Is not bigger, stronger, or more powerful no matter what it might be. (laughs) You know, that's, that's amazing because... He uses this analogy and back back up a, a couple verses to, to six. It says you have to ask in faith without doubting God. Put that in there. Without doubting God. For whoever doubts is like a wave of the sea driven and tossed by the wind. Now, I want to experience for this verse with you for a moment with an illustration. I'm going to share with you a little bit of technology, if you will, on two different kinds of autopilots. An airplane autopilot is put on a course. And the course is into the computer. A pilot can walk away from the controls and it will fly that course to within about 150, maybe a little less, uh, yards of landing the plane. Because the autopilot, you can't can't land the plane. But a pilot has to do that. But the autopilot, they kick it on, and and it's an altitude and a course heading. So, for example, the course heading might be five degrees north, or off off of north, right? And so you plug plug that in at 25,000 feet at this certain speed. An autopilot on a plane, whenever a wind blows you sideways and turns you a little, it'll just turn you back five degrees north. And get you back to the right height and speed. However, if you have a sideways wind blowing you like this, or blowing you like this, and you're headed this way, and all of a sudden you're like that, your five degrees north is now a little bit further that way. Or if you're headed this way, your five degree north is a little bit further this way. Because the contrary wind. The plane just knows where it's at in termination of a compass and its location in the sky. And all it does is get you back five degrees north. It doesn't got a flight plan and go, well, you're off course, let's turn you a little bit, get you back on to where you're supposed to be and change it to two degrees north so you can get back to where you're going. It doesn't do that. It does the five degrees direction so it makes sure the plane is pointed that direction. On a ship, a ship is different. A ship autopilot, amazing to me, I didn't know this until I began to research this, has an autopilot that says you're off course from where you're headed. Where you're headed. Not the direction you're supposed to go, but where you're going. So imagine you're on a ship 
and you get a wave that pushes you this way, immediately the boat's going to turn this way to get you back going straight again to the right direction. Immediately. And you say, what do you mean by immediately? Let me tell you. If you're on a wave and the wave is pushing you sideways, you'll feel the boat turn on a wave. It is immediately correcting course. A ship's autopilot does that. Now, listen to this. A person who doubts is like a person on a wave blown by the wind. It's like they don't have an autopilot, but they have two rudders. One going this way and one going that way. So there's two different directions this boat's trying to go. The wind's pushing it this way, they're trying to go that way, and and they don't know what they're doing because they can't see, literally, land. There are no coordinates in the daylight for where you're going if you don't have land. And even if you're off course a little bit of land, when you move 50 feet in the water, you don't know how far off course you are because you can't measure that stuff. So, a double-minded person or a person who doubts says, uh, I've moved over and, and uh, I've lost course. I've got to get back on course and I'm going to try this. <laughs> That's what it says. I'm going to try this and see if this gets me back kind of shot in the dark. But here's God who knows saying, this way. But I'm trying this. God's going to go this way. Yes, but I'm trying that. You see, you're going to zigzag until you're so far lost that you never get where you're supposed to go. And this is what he's saying by a person who doubts. You're blown and tossed, and so you're trying to get back on course, and you're trying to use your ideas. Maybe you trust a compass. Maybe you're asking God, if I turn this way, will it work? All those things. But there is no way for a boat with two directional compasses. Well, let's try this way and, and the natural, correct way to ever steer correctly. And so if you doubt, you're saying, God, I know you're right, but I'm going to try this. No, you don't know God's right if you're going to try that. But wait and see what God will do. Wait and see the glory of the Lord. And so, we get back to wisdom. Now, this is where this applies. He says, if any of you lacks wisdom, ask for it. It's a real nice way of saying what he's saying. James, I love how he does this, and you'll catch it throughout the book. He says it in such a way that it doesn't offend. If any of you lack wisdom, tell me who doesn't. Who here has God's wisdom all within themselves? But if any of you lack it, what he could say is, y'all need to be asking God for wisdom because you don't have it. That's what he should be saying because we don't have it. And so he says, hunger for this. If you don't have it, Ask Him for it. And this is Jesus' way of saying it. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they'll be satisfied. Righteousness is God's wisdom manifested through you. But there are some people who have learned to trust God who heard this and have matured a little bit. So He's trying to say, yes, you've got some godly wisdom, 
But you need to ask for more. You're never done growing in Christ. You're never done having the mind of Christ completely developed in you. There was a time when certain people needed wisdom, realized their lack of it, and had to ask for it. And hopefully, it's us every day. Here's how wisdom works. Say you're walking through the desert and you're thirsty and you're about to give up. And your life's become a place of uh, dry. No refreshing whatsoever from God. No season of blessing. And you come across this blessing of a pump. And you read this note that says there's plenty of water here, but prime it first. But you're so thirsty and there's enough in that bottle to quench that thirst. Are you going to go, well, you know, I ain't worried about the person after me. And this bottle should be enough to fill my thirst. And, and uh, if I don't get a drink and I put all that in the prime of the pump, I'm not going to get a drink. Because I know how this works. This note could be a lie. And I could have just poured out my only hope of water for miles. He says, the well has never run dry. So have faith. Listen to me. If your life is at a place where you wonder if the well has run dry, God's well never runs dry. God has always got enough. He's always able. He always can. He always will if you but trust Him and Him alone for it. Because He loves to know that you know He is who He is. He delights in those who love Him. His greatest joy is knowing you are finding Him to be your greatest joy. That's His greatest joy. And God says there's enough to go around. But you got to trust how this thing works. <laughs> you got to do it the way I say. If you want more than you can handle, prime the pump. Trust me. Pray. Do the work which I've asked you to do. And you'll have more than you can handle. It says in that letter, the well has never run dry. There's enough water in this well that you'll get all you can hold. There's enough water in the bottle, but not if you drink it first. So don't go drinking the water first. Prime the pump and you'll get all you can get. And then refill the bottle pop the cork back in it and put it back under the rock for the next person. This well is never driven up. It's called Jesus Christ. It's the cup of salvation. It's Calvary. It has never lost its power. The blood will never lose its power. It cannot. It will not. And so James says, if you question God's ability, you're stuck. Because you don't have any other recourse but your own. I hope... Sincerely, that that's not where you're stuck. Because if you don't have God in your situation, who you know can do something, what do you have left? As our scripture said, blessed is he who knows that God is the Lord. And blessed is he who loves him too. Would you pray with me?
Gracious Heavenly Father, in our lives we find lots of people telling us that they question God's existence. But tonight, as we think about what you've shared with us, and as we consider it before we lay down in our beds tonight, Heavenly Father, may we look back upon our day and say, God, if there's any place where I didn't trust your wisdom and your guidance, correct me. Give me wisdom. Show me how to live my life better. And Heavenly Father, right now, if anybody doesn't know that that well has not yet run dry and never will, and hasn't come to that well to drink yet, ask you to lead them to the rivers of living water right now. May you bring them right straight to the heart of Christ. And as we sing our concluding song today, Heavenly Father, that they would say, Lord, you and you alone are the one I need. I trust you. You have the answers. Nothing else, not doctors, not scholars, not philosophers, not well-wishers. Nobody but you, Heavenly Father, are the only one who can do this, and I trust you. Heavenly Father, may our trust be in the right place, and our confidence be in you, not in ourselves. Heavenly Father, in that moment, when that happens, we are free. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for your grace and your mercy. And ask your blessing upon this time. Amen.